0: This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to Radio Parallax's annual Thanksgiving program. Thanksgiving, by definition, comes on a Thursday, and so does Radio Parallax, which means that at least once a year, these two American institutions will coincide. Now, for our foreign listeners, we may have to at some point explain what Thanksgiving is, because this is a uniquely American holiday. People do not celebrate this in Europe. They don't celebrate it in Australia. They don't celebrate it in Latin America. In fact, my understanding is the only other place in the world besides Canada that has been brought along for the Thanksgiving holiday was Norfolk Island, which was apparently settled by a lot of New England whalers who brought along the traditions. Expect to be joined as this program unfolds by some of our old pals. I know for sure we'll be hearing from Ivo Kovacevic, our plumbing correspondent a little bit later because he's here in the studio with us. But as I say, we're gonna try and keep today's program uh, on the positive side. (laughs) And the particular topic we'll speak with Evo about, we'll just have to defer a bit. At any rate, let's start today's program as we like to do with on this date in history. Our date today is the 28th of November. The Thanksgiving holiday, by the way, is by definition on the last Thursday of the month. And and by very strange coincidence, this year, Hanukkah starts today. So making this, I guess, a rather unique Thanksgiving-slash-Hanukkah radio parallax. Well, this isn't completely unique. Apparently, it last happened in 1918 and will happen again on 1127 in the year 2070. But I believe, as I was saying, our date in history today is the 28th of November, and we would note that it was on November 28th. In 1893, that female New Zealanders became the world's first women to vote in general elections in an independent country. Well, I think we should take our hats off to the Kiwis, don't you? On this date in 1918, Emperor Wilhelm of Germany formally abdicated after U.S. President Woodrow Wilson made it a prerequisite for peace negotiations following World War I. On November 28th, in 1948, the Polaroid Land camera first went on sale at a department store in Boston. It was the first commercially successful self-developing camera system. Our quote of the day comes from the Harvard economist Henry Rossofsky, who once said, never underestimate the difficulty of changing false beliefs by facts. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Twain who once said, whenever you find yourself on the side of the majority, it's time to pause and reflect. A joke of the day is as follows. A Hollywood agent in the throes of depression due to lack of work was contemplating suicide when suddenly there was a puff of smoke, a flash of light, and the devil appeared. The devil said to the agent, I've got a proposition for you. For the remainder of your career, I'll give you the exclusive representation of the top stars in Hollywood. But in return... Your wife and children must die, and their souls shall burn in hell for all eternity. Agent looks at the devil and says, so what's the catch? There's no business like show business, like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Our anecdote of the day is as follows. Evidently, 100 Nazi professors published a book condemning Albert Einstein's theory of relativity after the physicist had gone into exile. For his part, Einstein was untroubled. He said, If I were wrong, one professor would have been enough. Our stat of the day comes from the Wall Street Journal, which which notes the number of international students in the U.S. has risen to a record high last year. The reason? Universities are aggressively recruiting abroad for full tuition payers. China had the most students in U.S. colleges with 235,000, followed by 97,000 from India and 71,000 from South Korea. We'll be having more to say about that in the future. But I think we should jump at this point into one of our favorite sections of the program the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for following the rules, come hell or high water, with news that a Swedish hotel, made entirely out of ice, has installed firearms, has installed fire alarms by order of government officials. Authorities warned the ice hotel, where guests sleep on ice beds in temperatures as low as 17 degrees Fahrenheit, that it would be shut down without the safety upgrade. So far, the alarm has gone off once, said a hotel spokeswoman. It was one of our guests who'd snuck into a cleaning closet and had a cigarette. Yes, and in case you're in doubt about this, ice does not burn. Let's do another one. It was actually a good week this past week for admitting you were wrong, eventually. Evidently, the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania Patriot News apologized last week for an 1863 editorial that dismissed President Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg address as silly remarks. The paper noted that its previous editors must have been, quote, under the influence of partisanship, comma, or of strong drink, end quotation. It was, on the other hand, a bad week. In fact, a really bad week for the need to know, after British researchers admitted that they had killed the world's oldest living animal. This was a 507-year-old Icelandic clam. They opened up its shell to determine its age. Yeah, you know, that that could have waited. And it was an ugly week this week for an Ohio Walmart store, which, believe it or not, was holding a Thanksgiving food drive for its own employees. <laughs> A Walmart spokesman said the drive is part of the company's culture to rally around associates. Critics say the request for food was a tacit admission by Walmart that it doesn't pay its workers enough to get by, said activist Norma Mills. To ask low-wage workers to donate food to other low-wage workers, to me, is a moral outrage. Yeah, we talked about Walmart in this program a few years back. There was an excellent documentary out called... um, Walmart, the high price of low cost, and explained how uh, a lot of the stores across the country do make computers available for their employees to get on uh, local welfare. Yes, the world's richest corporation, number one corporation in the world, helps its employees to get on welfare. What's wrong with this picture? And finally, it was both a good and bad week, I guess you might say, for immigration reform with the following item. Apparently, the Young Conservatives of Texas canceled their Catch an Illegal Immigrant event, which they were planning to stage at the University of Texas, Austin, in the wake of complaints from both students and administrators. Apparently, the Young Conservatives of Texas envisioned the game where students would chase down other students wearing, quote, illegal immigrant, unquote, signs. This was meant to spark a campus-wide discussion about the issue. Texas, is there some way we can give it back to Mexico? All right, let's see if we can round out our first segment today with, with positive stuff. We've been sitting on an item for some months, uh, which probably is worthy of some comment, which is that David Attenborough, at age 86, is still out there producing wonderful programs in natural history and has no plans to slow down. Earlier this year, a new scientist magazine caught up with uh, David Attenborough and asked him a few questions, starting with, What's your secret? It's amazing that your passion is still there after 60 years in TV. To which Attenborough replied, It's amazing, frankly, that I'm vertical. He was asked about the theme of his new series titled Natural Curiosities. Attenborough said, It's interesting stories about interesting animals. They are a source of infinite fascination, historical, scientific, mythologic. Asked if it was aimed at younger audiences, Attenborough said, no, the beauty of natural history programs is that you can be straightforward and fascinate the seven-year-olds and the 70-year-olds if you just present it as it is. All kinds of people of all ages and all educational backgrounds love it. That's the joy of natural history. It's a godsend for blokes like me. Asked if we need to prioritize animals and the environment over human activity, Attenborough said, yes, we have to. There are whole areas, the rainforest, for example, that have to be protected for the animals and for the whole of the climate and the planet. That's a priority if there ever was one. Yes, at Radio Parallax, we would like to salute the continuing efforts of David Attenborough. And speaking of new scientists, since we have no rigid pattern which we follow on this program, I'm going to interject a letter to the editor at this point concerning a topic that uh, might come up during your holiday feasting. Someone wrote the magazine to ask, why does alcohol-free beer taste so different and generally nowhere near as pleasant as ordinary beer? Is it purely the lack of alcohol? I'm not convinced that it is because I added some neutral alcohol spirit to an alcohol-free lager we have here in the Netherlands to make up for the strength of the ordinary beer. My friends and I can report that it tasted absolutely foul. So what else is missing from alcohol-free beer that makes it taste so different? Note to the magazine, any fermented beverage is a complex mixture and includes a wide variety of molecules, such as microscopic particles of yeast cell wall or protein molecules. Processes like pasteurization change the taste so grossly that even untrained palates and noses can detect the difference. Other treatments besides pasteurization, might cause chemical changes or changes in the proportions of flavorful chemicals. We can hardly generalize because no true brewers use identical processes. However, producers of alcohol-free beer have two options. First, they can simulate beer by mixing suitable components. Noted the magazine, this doesn't usually yield good results. Second, they noted they can produce a weak beer, then extract the alcohol, replacing any lost non-alcoholic components such as organic acids and recarbonate the notional beer but it's noted that what is lost is a physical and chemical balance and the respondent did note as an addendum that your neutral spirits by the way will still contain various incidental flavors no i'm afraid radio prowess is going to have to take a position against alcohol-free beer because the truth is it's not really alcohol free if you're an alcoholic and you drink a six-pack of these supposedly alcohol-free beers, you're getting the equivalent alcohol content of one normal beer, which might be enough to tip you back, which might be enough to tip you over into your disease. Yes, we agree. It tastes terrible, and there's probably no reason to drink it. And for further information about things you should be drinking in the beer category, we refer you to our archives for a wonderful chat we had with Professor of Brewing here at UC Davis, Dr. Charles Bamforth. And there may be some good news coming up uh, in the way of, um, well, different types of metals. Quoting from an Economist piece that I've been sitting on since last February, the magazine noted that aluminum was once more costly than gold. Napoleon Third, Emperor of France, reserved cutlery made from aluminum for his most favored guests. And if you've been to Washington, you may note that the Washington Monument in our capital, was capped with aluminum. Not because the builders were cheapskates, but because they wanted to show off. Back then, <laughs> aluminum cost a lot more than gold. Note of the magazine, How Times Change. In aluminum's case, they changed because in the late 1880s, Charles Hall and Paul herault worked out how to separate the stuff from its oxide using electricity rather than chemical reducing agents. Apparently now the founders of a small British firm called Metallicis hope they can do the same thing for tantalum, titanium, and a host of other expensive metallurgic elements, including neodymium, tungsten, and vanadium. This could have a profound effect on our economy. Tantalum is an ingredient of the best electronic capacitors. At the moment, it's so expensive, $2,000 a kilogram, that it's worth using only in things where size and weight matter a lot, like mobile phones. If you drop that price, it could be deployed more widely. Neodymium is used in the magnets that you find in the motors of electric cars, while vanadium and tungsten give strength to steel, but at great expense. This is pretty cool. I know some of you have titanium frame bicycles out there, and uh, it would be really neat if the price of those things came down quite a bit because you could make the stuff a lot cheaper. These days, I understand they make it in batches kind of equivalent how they used to make steel back in like the 1830s. So uh, and we're pulling for this company to, to make this happen. All right, let's talk about a few science topics. Those are generally of an up nature. We do know that pretty much as we speak, common Ison is whipping around our sun, which may mean, if we're lucky, that During the month of December, we're going to get a spectacular show up in the sky. Of course, the comet could also be destroyed by its passage around the sun. There's just no guarantee. If it breaks up into pieces, that will probably uh, make it more of a spectacle in the sky. We just uh, are crossing our fingers. I do want to note that yours truly did get up the other morning to go out and try and spot the comet, but uh, I believe it was the night of the 22nd. I waited a little bit too long. In order to see the comet that night, one had to have a really unobstructed view of the eastern sky and better weather conditions than we had. So, um, sorry to say, I've not yet seen it, but I'm hoping for the best. And speaking of astronomy, we want to give a cheer for the good people at NASA who've had a successful launch on the 18th of their MAVEN probe. This is an acronym for the Mars Atmosphere and Volatile Evolution. Its mission is to extensively explore Mars's upper atmosphere, looking for clues as to when and why the planet went from a warm, wet world to a cold, dry desert. Given that we're all concerned a bit about uh, climate change, or at least some of some of uh, correction some of us are concerned about climate change here on planet Earth, this could be some valuable clues. This, pra- this space probe could to give us some valuable clues as to what uh, what could happen here. Something else you don't think about, uh, the the MAVEN spacecraft will serve as a relay communication system for the Mars rovers. Both the Opportunity and Curiosity need orbiters to relay their signals back to Earth. And we have a couple of orbiters that are still functioning, but they're about a decade old, and you never know when they'll go. There is a bit of a gap here. After MAVEN, the next uh, potential relay uh, orbiter to Mars will be the European Space Agency's ExoMars Trace Gas Orbiter, and that's not going to arrive until late 2016. I really do think we're going to learn a lot by studying the atmosphere of our our closest planets, Mars, and especially Venus. Discover Magazine noted recently that uh, NASA has not sent a spacecraft to Venus since 1989. Now, Venus is You know, pretty close to being Earth's twin. It's only 5% smaller. It has an iron core. It has a thick, heat-trapping atmosphere, and it orbits at about three-quarters the distance that we do. Now, if astronomers spotted a planet like Venus orbiting another star, they would conclude it was an ideal place to search for life. And scientists do believe that Earth and Venus were much more like twins when they formed four and a half billion years ago. Back then, the sun was dimmer, and Venus apparently was cooler. By studying the hydrogen molecules in the Venusian atmosphere, NASA's pioneer Venus probe indicated the planet probably once had liquid water on its surface, maybe even expansive oceans. Therefore, people reason life could have started and thrived under those conditions. But at some unknown point in its history, Venus reached a tipping point. The planet overheated and the water on its surface evaporated, filling the atmosphere with vapor. The vapor trapped more heat, which caused more evaporation, and so on. In this positive feedback loop, the oceans basically boiled off. So I do think we need to go back and study what the hell happened to Venus if we uh, perhaps uh, have some hope of avoiding a similar fate here on Earth. Unfortunately, having been starved for funds by the Obama administration, NASA is moving the other way, pulling funds from planetary exploration as its budget dwindles. It's a horrible thing to contemplate that a space probe might cost a billion dollars. And back when George Bush and Dick Cheney were operating a needless war in Iraq, we were spending that amount of money, oh, about every day and a half or so, and we did that for, what, six, seven years? All right, one final item. I don't know if you know what tektites are, dear listener, but if you don't, you will now. They're, they're rather pretty pieces of black, glassy material that are found uh, here on planet Earth in layers Generally, you dig down to a certain level in places like Thailand and you find lots of these things. Evidently, what tektites are are the results of an impact of something with planet Earth, and the impactor mixed with uh, terrestrial rock got heated, thrown up in the atmosphere, and quickly cooled. As it splashed back down under the Earth, it formed bits of glass. They're really cool. In some cases, they, they look like exactly like that, something that was uh, hurled through the atmosphere. And it now appears that NASA's Curiosity rover has found something similar on Mars, impact glass in Mars's uh, Gale crater, which only makes sense. There's lots of impact craters all over the Martian surface, and a similar process undoubtedly took place there. One really strange story related to uh, this glassy material is the fact that uh, remnants of an ancient swamp supposedly, have been found preserved inside glass created during a meteorite strike. This offers uh, the first evidence that traces of life might survive the heat and pressure of such an impact. Yes, apparently new evidence has been found around the 800,000-year-old Darwin crater in Tasmania, which indicates that the, uh, the glass that was formed encased some organic material. Now, scientists in Australia are saying that uh, the material includes cellulose and polymers that might derive from leaf cuticles, and they're speculating it they may have come from a peat swamp. I think that may be a bit of a stretch. And it's also a bit of a stretch to think that molten glass uh, might, uh, might uh, encase biological material that then could survive a trip through space. That's, that's it's a far cry from uh, you know organic material to uh, living organisms, but it's interesting stuff. We've got to take a break in a minute or so, but before we go, I just want to note uh, this following item, which is that cover art from a 50-year-old comic book featuring Superman's alter ego, Clark Kent, disguising himself as President John F. Kennedy, was sold at an auction for $112,000. Kurt Swan's original cover drawing for Action Comics number 309 sold at auction last week in York County for that sum. On the cover is Superman shaking hands with Clark Kent, and a word arrow asks the reader, who is the mystery masquerader? It turned out in that comic book, which I remember very well, the mystery person was President Kennedy. Unfortunately, this, uh, this issue was put together just before Kennedy's assassination, making it uh, a rather poignant collectible. Now, somewhere down in Fremont, I do have a copy of Action Comics number 309, and I hope this cover art uh, going for that high price means that it's worth some dough. It's Superman, strange visitor from another planet who came to Earth with powers and abilities far beyond those of mortal men. On that note, let's take a short break. you listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Hope you're enjoying your Thanksgiving slash Hanukkah. This <laughs> is Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for a great metropolitan newspaper, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and the American way.